Why is it that with sparkling water, I'm always playing guessing games with what flavor I'm drinking? Is it citrus? Is it aluminum can flavored? Mm, not sure. Sparkling ice, though, they really mean flavor. Like in-your-face flavor. Orange mango, black raspberry. Don't even get me started on the strawberry lemonade. Kiwi Strawberry slid right into my taste buds DMs last night and let them know who's boss. No subtleties there and no sugar either. But it does have vitamins and antioxidants. Find sparkling ice at a major grocery store or club retailer near you. Sparkling ice. Anything but subtle. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome to the conversation on the TYT network. Uh, well, uh, President Trump is talking about, hey, look, the stock market's doing great uh, recently. So does that mean we've solved everything during coronavirus? The economy is okay, don't worry, you're all gonna be all right. My guess is no. Uh, so we're brought on uh, an expert to talk about this. It's Joe Sandberg, he's co-founder of uh, Aspiration.com. He is also, he's a progressive entrepreneur. Uh, also started work working Hero Pack to alleviate poverty, which is awesome, and one of the late nation's leading advocates for the earned income tax credit. So, uh, Joe, uh, first, welcome back. Uh, great to have you. Um, and I'm going to dive in with uh, Trump on Tuesday, bragging about, oh, the market's back up to near record levels. So, number one, uh, does that mean the overall economy is doing well and the American people are doing well? No, everyone who's watching needs to remember this. The stock market represents how the owners of big companies, not just the owners of companies, but the owners of big companies. And so what the stock market is telling us is that if you're one of the owners of a big corporation, you're doing great. And that's true. I mean, we have an economy where big companies are taking market share in a record clip as small businesses fail and go away because we failed to support them during the pandemic. Um, the stock market doesn't tell you how the American people are doing. It doesn't tell you how small businesses and entrepreneurs are doing. It tells you how America's largest corporations and monopolies are doing. And the answer is largest corporations and monopolies are doing really well. Yeah, so Joe, look, there's a giant disconnect here because there's two or a couple of uh, disconnects. One is, okay, Everybody on TV used stock market as the only barometer because they all have a ton of money in the stock market and they're all wealthy, etc. We we understand that phenomenon. Um, but the other disconnect is, wait, what? Even so, why is the stock market doing well? Because even for the larger corporations, it, nobody's buying anything, <laughs> right? I know it's an oversimplification, but what? How are they propping up what I view to be a, a near pyramid scheme here? Well, we need to really unpack the performance of the stock market because when people say the stock market is doing well, they're referring to averages. And within that average, we have a small subsegment of stocks like the biggest tech companies and the biggest pharmaceutical monopolies that are going up 100, 200, 300% in two and three month periods. On the other hand, as you're saying, Jake, a lot of other companies that aren't doing that well, even though they're publicly traded stocks, um, are seeing their stocks kind of stagnate. 
So even when you look at the averages of the stock market that are going up a lot, those averages just represent 10, 15 companies out of the entire stock market that are creating most of the gains. So if you want to tell the most specific story, it's a story of 15 or 20 humongous American companies and monopolies whose stocks have gone up two and three and 400 percent this year. And when you average that with you know, thousands of other public stocks that have maybe gone up not much or even declined, get to an average that looks pretty good. But as we all know, there's uh, there's lies, uh, damn lies and statistics. Right. So Joe, one of the things I'm worried about is at the end of all this, uh, a lot of small businesses are gonna go under. Uh, and then those guys who are small business owners and or happy employees of small businesses doing something that they love are uh, gonna have to work for the giant corporations that rule us all. Uh, and so a guy who used to run a, a restaurant might then become, you know, if he's lucky, a manager at McDonald's, maybe worse. And so is coronavirus going to ironically help big businesses get an even stronger stranglehold on their economy? It is, it's already happening. And one of the things that genuinely keeps me up at night and should keep all of us up at night is how fast we're hurtling towards an economy where there are 10, 15 massive companies, one or two companies in each of the big industries, and that's it. And that you have very little hope as an entrepreneur or a small business person to get ahead. And all of us as Americans have very little choice in where we buy and where we work. And when we think about what democracy means, democracy doesn't just mean do we have the freedom to vote? It also means what kind of freedom do we have about where we choose to work, live and buy things. And the freedom we have in those parts of our lives is narrowing so fast, it terrifies me. It was bad before the coronavirus, but the coronavirus and in particular, the way our government has responded to the economic recovery has made it so, so, so much worse. And Jake, we really need to emphasize that point. It didn't have to be like this. It wasn't intrinsic to the coronavirus that big businesses and monopolies were going to consolidate more of their market share and small businesses were gonna go away. It was the completely ham-handed, stupid, and perhaps devious way that we've treated economic um, program from the government, which is massively advantaged corporations, giant corporations and monopolies, and put small businesses on the edge of, of extinction. Yeah, so let's talk about the poor too, because look, uh, more than two thirds of the so-called relief packages went to the largest corporations in the world, both in direct financing and through Federal Reserve backing them up, backing their loans up, buying up their assets, etc. And so now the PPP I actually think did work for small businesses. And so obviously in this new round, they're like, no, no more of that. <laughs> we're thinking of corporate you know, capital gains tax, we're thinking of payroll tax, but forget doing the PPP again, that was way too successful. And then the unemployment checks I could argue worked for you know $600, etc. And I think that is a big part of what's holding up this country from kind of falling apart at the seams with over 20 million people unemployed. But now we're in August and those checks aren't going out anymore and we don't have a new bill. So Joe, I'm worried about the roof caving in here. What's your sense of what could happen to the poor in this country next? 
Well, you should be worried because the roof is caving in for those who are even fortunate enough to be able to afford to have a roof. One out of three Americans don't know how they're going to pay their rent this month. One out of three. One out of three people are essentially saying, we don't know how we're going to avoid being homeless. There isn't a choice but for the federal government to act unless it's going to resign all of the American people towards something that's going to make the Great Depression look tiny for those who don't own stocks. I mean, that's the sick irony is that if you're of the top couple of percentage of earning Americans, you're feeling a pretty robust recovery right now. You know, you're going to start seeing retail sales numbers that make it look like the economy is booming. But again, that's the mis- misleading effect of averages. A small number of people are doing really well, and everyone else is hurtling towards an abyss. And if the federal government doesn't act, heaven help us. It's going to be an epic catastrophe. And look, it already is a catastrophe. For, for every, look, they, you know, there's a great wisdom which says a recession is when the economy is contracting, and a depression is when you've lost your job. And for everyone who's unemployed and is worrying about how they're going to pay their rent, it's a depression. And if one out of three people don't know how they're going to pay their rent, that's a pretty big amount of America that's experiencing an economic depression. So uh, what's your sense of what they're going to do with this bill and what should they do with it? Because like I said, some portions of earlier packages did work. Um, and, and that's why the roof has not yet caved in. And that's good. We don't want it to cave in. We desperately, desperately don't want it to cave in. So uh, what do they need to do, do going forward? And, and do you think they'll do it? Well, what I think they ought to do is sustain the enhanced unemployment insurance. And they ought to introduce a rent relief program for all small businesses. Because that program will ensure that we don't have a tidal wave of small business failures. The biggest problem that small businesses face, in addition to the expenses of wages, is the expenses of rent. And imagine being a restaurant and you have to pay your rent, but you don't have any customers. So we need to ensure that those small businesses can make it through. Do I think that's going to happen? You know, I'm actually not as terribly skeptical as I might otherwise would be because the, the consequences are so politically devastating for both political parties, including the Republicans, if they let the economy completely fall off a cliff between now and the election, that I'm cautiously optimistic that though it's going to look really sloppy in the end, we'll get something that's not good enough but decent enough to avoid the worst case outcome. You know, Joe, you just triggered a thought there that I I had not considered until just now. Look, we gotta get this thing done ASAP because if Joe Biden wins, Donald Trump loses, Mitch McConnell and the Republicans are going to immediately say no to everything involved in the recovery to blame the Democrats. They don't care about the poor, the middle class at all. And the top corporations already got trillions of dollars. So if Biden wins, they're going to turn off that faucet. Uh, it's our, how worried are you about that? I think you're absolutely right. If we don't win the Senate, and even if we do win the Senate, it's going to be challenging. But if Democrats don't win the Senate, it is going to be a heck of a tough couple of years ahead. They're going to stop everything that helps everyday people because they're going to want the economy to be in the worst possible place so that they can win the White House back in 2024. And this is one of the sobering reminders for all of our viewers that struggle doesn't end this November. It's ongoing. The moment that Biden wins and we all hope he's gonna win, the moment he wins, 
the Republicans are on to fighting 2024 and 2022. Yeah, uh, Joe Sandberg, one of the few um, leaders uh, who is actually looking out for poor people in this country. There's a lot of talk about middle class, not a lot of delivery, but almost no talk left of poor people. So you know, it's it's a pleasure to have you on, people like Reverend William Barber on. Because as as you both point out, 40% of the country can now even hire, can't survive a $400 blow, and that blow is imminent. So uh, thanks for fighting the good fight, Joe. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. All right, welcome back to the conversation. I've got two great guests for you guys. They're the directors of the movie The Swamp on HBO. You've got to check it out. Morgan Pettman and Daniel DeMauro join us now. Uh, so I want to dive right in, Morgan. Let me start with you. Um, first of all, in the movie, you're following uh, three Republican congressmen, and they are doozies. Matt Gates, uh, you've got Thomas Massey and Ken Buck. Um, they're all very conservative, uh, and they claim that they want to get rid of the swamp. Um, now, I'm progressive. I don't believe them at all. Uh, I've never believed them. I think they're totally full of crap. Uh, so. Uh, <laughs> that's my bias going in, but I want to believe them. That's the part people might be surprised by, because at some point we've got to come together to get money out of politics. Otherwise, this is going to get corrupted forever. So I know this is a tough question because you guys got access to them and and I'm sure developed some sort of relationship with them. But I'm going to get to the punchline immediately. Are they full of crap or do they actually want to get money out of politics? Well, Jank, I mean, we are Bernie Sanders supporting progressives. So we were as skeptical as you were. But in fact, what was drawn, what drew us to these members is that they were willing to speak so candidly about the systemic corruption that is at the heart of Congress right now. And we thought maybe this is an opportunity for people across the political spectrum. If we don't come come together on any other issue, at least we can come together on this idea of rooting corruption out of our politics. And I do believe that they are genuine in terms of their own commitment to reforming Congress because it really is terrible serving in Congress when you're in this stranglehold by the corporations and the lobbyists and the big donors. But of course, they don't see the inherent hypocrisy of their support for Donald Trump, who has done more to deepen the swamp than any other president. So the answer to your question, Jack, is it's complicated. <laughs> that's well, you see it in the movie too. All right, so and that's definitely true. So I actually want to show a piece of the movie. Ro Khanna is also in the movie, and and Larry Lessig's in the movie. So this is really interesting. The left and the right could one day potentially come together on this. Let's watch a clip and then I'm gonna come back and, and talk to you about more of this. The greatest challenge we face is not Republicans versus Democrats. It's reformers against those who wanna maintain the status quo. And we got Republicans and Democrats in both groups. My view is we need a more progressive vision for America, but a vision is insufficient if you don't get things done. And I do think that there is an appetite among the newer generation of members of Congress to build broad coalitions. And we always have to listen to criticism from the other side and understand that they're representing a particular constituency in America and a particular perspective. 
we would be sort of an odd couple politically. I am a Tea Party Republican from Florida. Roe served in the Obama administration and represents Silicon Valley. But folks like Roe, even who maybe don't hold my ideology or my view on every subject, understand that this place has to change if we want to do right by the American people. We came here to work for the people who sent us here, not for the leadership, not for committee chairs, and not certainly for the lobbyists. Okay, Daniel, you know, looking at that, that is a super encouraging clip. And I and I and I'm an eternal optimist. I think that we can actually come together from what the mainstream considers the fringes of the right wing and the left wing and, and actually reform the system. But that leads to the obvious question of wait, isn't the problem the thing that the media celebrates so much, the mainstream, the, the people who are actually generally in charge. I'm not talking about Donald Trump. I'm talking about Mitch McConnell, Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer, who are bathed in what I call bribes, what they call campaign contributions. Yes, of course, you're right. And you know, as, as much as I think we all want to see Donald Trump be leaving the White House in January. Um, you know, uh, Biden wants a return, a return to normalcy, which of course means just the corporations and complete control of the government. Um, uh, I think that's an improvement over Donald Trump. But why we made this movie was to show that there are the contingents in both parties, um, really on the fringes of both parties, because the Republicans we show in the film. Are uh, do consider themselves more independent members. Now, of course, they are strong supporters of the president, but at the same time, they're trying to work outside the leadership structure within Congress. And they want to buck their own party and they want to um, be independent and speak honestly and openly about the corruption they see that is very top down from the leadership. And of course, it applies to both parties. So Morgan, that leads, that leads to the next somewhat obvious question. And the reason why I harp on it on the Young Turks all the time. The problem is the media. So I, I, I get it, you know, Trump's a terrible guy, I can't stand him. I think he'd end democracy. I think Matt Gates is a terrible guy on other issues. And, and we talk about it, but if they, if Massey says, hey, we shouldn't go into war. And Matt Gates says we shouldn't go into war blindly and supports Rokan on it. Great, I'm thrilled, I'm happy to take it. But, but the media doesn't point out the number one problem in the country. They're taking bribes. I don't, am I missing anything, Morgan, or is it really pretty much that simple? It is that simple. And as Larry Lessig says in this movie, you know, we can't address any of our other policy concerns for this country until we root out the systemic corruption that has paralyzed our government and made it beholden to the special interests. And a lot of people know about, of course, the, the electoral impact that the big money donors and the special interests have on the system. And, and that's been shown by the great work that you've done with Wolfpack. But what we show people is how corrupt the system is on the inside and how you can send really bright progressives to Congress, people like Jamal Bowman and Cori Bush. And what happens? They immediately get trapped in a system where they literally have to pay for their committee assignments in order to be able to, uh, to serve in the hierarchy of Congress. So polluted with corruption on every level. 
that that is something that is we really wanted to bring to the forefront and show Americans that we need to focus on this issue. So tell us more about that guys. So uh, what does it mean to pay for your committee assignments? Well, every cycle um, you are given assessments and you need to pay that money to the congressional committees of your party. Um, as we show in the film, we kind of trace the uh, evolution of the modern Congress back to Newt Gingrich's tenure as Speaker of the House, where he really consolidated all of the power within the Speaker's office so the Speaker could control everything. And one of those things that he controlled was committee assignments. So you would think that um, members of Congress get committee assignments based upon maybe their expertise in a field or if they have uh, a certain um, relationship with that uh, private sector industry that that committee is supposed to oversee. But of course, that's, that's not the case. It's who could raise the most money and the only people who are paying those hundreds of thousands of dollars to the members that they need to kick back to the leadership and the congressional committees are the people who have a vested interest in the work product of those committees. So it's an inherently corrupt system. So, so Morgan, Morgan, I feel like the decision that, uh, that people have to make these days uh, and why you see Matt Gates doing what he does is that you either gotta decide, okay, I'm just a corporate tool. Uh, I, you know, I'm just a, a pawn in this system. I'll take the corporate money and do whatever they tell me to do. But hey, at least I'll have power, money, and fame. Or you have to build a name for yourself enough to be able to get small dollar donors uh, to finance your campaigns because everything runs on uh, money. So that's why both AOC and Matt Gates wind up getting so much media attention. Because it's the only alternative method of raising money other than appeasing and simply flat out working for corporations, which is what all of the rest of the congressmen seem to do. Do I have that right? That's right. And there's there's a hopeful note in that because you can work outside of the traditional power structure. In the old days, you can even go on television unless leadership let you do so. Now you can be like AOC and by raising small dollar donations, she doesn't pay that money for her committee seat. But she has so much leverage and she commands an army of social media followers that leadership doesn't dare deny her the seat. But it's how you get those small dollar donations. Are you gonna play the politics of hate, which is what Larry Leslie calls essentially what Matt Gates does, where he says these incendiary things to polarize us, and that's how he gets supporters. Or are you gonna put forward a message that really brings together the country around what is our common enemy, which is the corruption in our system. And I think that there is an opportunity. We see progressive candidates across the country who see that route to power, but we need to put the pressure on the leaders of our own parties to stop perpetrating this corrupt system. And that's why I think that congressmen are speaking directly to the American people. They know they can't fix it inside. They need the American people to pressure them to fix it from the outside. And, and last thing guys, cuz we're running short on time, but I love this topic and everybody's gotta watch the swamp on HBO to see it for yourselves. Cuz they got great access to these Congress people and it tells a really interesting story. Um, guys, when I ran for Congress, I realized that it was actually even worse than I thought. And I thought it was nuclear level bad. The, <laughs> the only thing, the 
only thing they care about is the money. But one of the, uh, the results of that is that uh, it's not that they dislike progressives, Democratic, I'm talking about Democratic leadership now. It's not that they dislike progressives because of ideology. It's I got the sense that they think, oh, these progressives can't raise enough money because they don't they won't do everything the corporate donors tell them to do. And hence, we are disdainful of progressives. What do you think about that? I think that's right. And I think part of it is also that the progressives won't listen to the leadership of the Democratic Party and the Democratic leadership. Their main objective is to maintain their majority. They want to expand their majority. They don't want to lose close races in battleground districts. So if the progressives aren't gonna listen to them, it makes them look weak. It doesn't make them look unified. And of course, their lifeblood is still the big donors, the corporate lobbyist money. So ultimately, they're doing their bidding. All right, Morgan and Daniel, great work, great movie. Thanks for tackling the topic. We really appreciate it. And thanks for coming on the Young Turks. Thank you, Jack. Thanks for having us.